Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm really looking forward to speaking with Stephanie Hanna about creating meaningful connections through networking. Stephanie's a lawyer, coach, and founder of The Other 85, where she helps lawyers build their brand and grow their business while helping remove the stigma around relationship building and networking. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be with you. Well, thanks so much for being here. How about getting us started by introducing yourself and telling us what you do? A little bit more about The Other 85. Sure. So I am an attorney by trade and I've been practicing for a little over 13 years now. And throughout that time, I quickly discovered the power of relationships. Um, And it started because I graduated in 2008 when the market was having uh, some struggles at the time and it was pretty Mm -hmm. difficult to get a job. And I was submitting cold resumes all the time and having zero luck. And I did pretty well at law school. I thought I checked all the boxes and things were not happening exactly the way I thought that they were going to. And so I started to get involved. I was new to Columbus, Ohio at the time. And so I was in a new city. The market wasn't great. I didn't have any professional contacts here. And I started to get involved in the local bar association, um, local nonprofits, um, anything that would take you know, kind of a young up and comer. And I quickly discovered that relationships were helping me a lot more than spending time scrolling job postings where I didn't have any contacts. So Mm -hmm. I started to kind of use that momentum and started growing my network and taking care of it and really getting opportunities that a lot of my peers were not. And after kind of years of informally coaching and mentoring my friends and colleagues and law students, I decided to turn this into a business. And the other 85 comes from the idea that 15% of job success comes from the hard technical skills, why we went to school. And the other 85, the relationships, the networking, the communication skills, the personal brand, that is what truly makes or breaks someone's career, success, and what I think, happiness. And so that is what I've been doing primarily for the last four years is really focusing on growing the other 85 and coaching attorneys mostly. Um, I do work with some other professionals, but really focusing on attorneys to help them kind of manage and grow and master this other 85 so that they can start getting out there and doing the things that they want to be doing. So important. And and it it fills a real gap, I think, in legal education, because as you're saying, it's not taught in law school. None of those softer skills are taught in law school. And if you're saying 85% of job success comes from mastering those skills, you know, I I think it's time that we place a little bit more importance on development of those skills. So I'm thinking about lawyers that I have worked with um, whenever I mention the word networking. Usually it's like, you know, yeah, I know I should be doing it more, but I really don't like it. I'm an introvert or, you know, fill in the blank. Many, many excuses. Yeah. So are you seeing that as well in your practice? Yeah, you know, I do. I think initially people will come up with these kind of age old 
excuses, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you mentioned, right? I'm not outgoing. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. I wasn't born being good at this. Some people are good at it and I'm not. And so now I've been doing this long enough that I work really hard to kind of bring out all of the excuses on the front Mm -hmm. end and then dispel them one by one because it's not true. Um, This stuff is a skill. It is something that is teachable, coachable, learnable. And so most of the work that I find that I have to do is really mindset work, especially initially to get people over this hump that like this isn't for them or, you know, their hard work will speak for itself and to really kind of get them to, to reality, so to speak and say, yeah, you need to be able to do good work, but there's a hundred good lawyers in town and I could take them all this contract and they're going to all do essentially a pretty good job. But who do I want to work with? Who is someone that is going to be easy for me to communicate and easy for me to refer additional work to? And who do I want to spend time interacting with? And that's why we have to focus on these things and kind of dispel those myths on the front end so that we can really make some progress. Yeah, because I imagine some uh, lawyers are referred to you by their superiors. So it's not that everybody is coming to see you willingly. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, I'm, yes, I've also been doing this long enough to make sure that I do have buy-in from the person being coached, even if it wasn't their initial idea, trying to at least some point along the way get their buy-in um, because that has to be there for there to be any meaningful progress. So when you talk about sort of the mindset, how do you work with clients to sort of shift that mindset and to get get more of the the buy-in on the development of, um, I guess, the importance and the development of those particular skills? Yeah. So we start out really talking through a lot of their pain points and almost every single pain point can point directly to a professional development type skill. Um, Very rarely do they say, you know, I'm doing this type of law, but there is no resource to teach me this type of law. Um, Or, you know, very rarely do they say, you know, I need this technical skill and nobody in this law firm knows how to show me how to do it. Right. That's never it. It's always, Mm -hmm. Hey, I feel like I'm not getting ahead. I feel like I'm just chained to my desk doing work all day long. Um, Nobody knows who I am. I'm not getting invited to the big projects. I'm not getting invited to the client pitches. I don't have any clients of my own. I don't even know where to look for them. And I feel like I have no support in this endeavor. And so we kind of have to draw all that out and then get them to understand kind of two main mindset shifts. One, this is a long game. Nothing will happen quickly. Um, You looking at someone else is looking at a moment in time and you have no idea what they've put in on the front end um, to get to this place. And Also, that you are going to have to put in the work. Um, This isn't just something that happens kind of nonchalantly. People who are good at it put in the work. Nobody just sits there and opportunities come to them. So it's a long game and you have to put in the work. And if we can kind of get around those two things, then we're off and running. And there's so many networking tips out there and resources. And I imagine that what you do is so much more than just saying, okay, when you go to a networking event, do X, Y, and Z. So I'm just trying to find a way to connect the what that particular individual needs with these tips um, that we hear about. And we think, 
oh, you know, all I have to do is maybe make a list of X number of people to reach out to each week or put aside some time to develop business or make connections. But I think there's just so much more to it. And I'm wondering if you can maybe sort of dig a little deeper there and talk a little bit about the process. Yeah, absolutely. So you make a great point. I tell clients all the time, you literally never have to go to a quote unquote networking event if you don't want to, and you'll still have massive success. That's kind of one of one of the mindset shifts in terms of this being a long game. You aren't going to be in a position your whole life to be going to four networking events every week. And so that's why what we're talking about here is kind of your presence, your personal brand, the way that you're interacting with people you already know, people already in your network. Are you easy to work with in, in your law firm or your organization currently? Um, are you nurturing relationships? Are you being a giver? Are you making those relationship deposits? So these are all things that we work through and all things that people are doing every single day, whether or not they're selling legal services. They're always selling themselves to a certain extent and what it's like to work with and interact with themselves. And so the more that we can get people in tune with this notion that you know, my presence matters, my energy matters, the way I show up matters because that's speaking for me when I'm not speaking um, and get away from this, you know, go to a networking event and collect five business cards and then do this, you know, following. That's not really what we're working on. We are just working on kind of all the ways that you show up all the time outside of specifically designated, you know, networking events. Right. And I guess, I mean, it's something you said, it um, sort of triggered something, a thought in me, the idea of thinking about building relationships within your organization. We often focus on okay, how are we going to meet potential clients, referrals, external connections, but it sounds like it's just as important to think about the connections within your organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the people I work with, they are inside some really large law firms. And I always tell them, this is going to be easier for you if you kind of grab on to some of these teachings because the people are there. You don't have to look very hard. You are in organizations sometimes where there's not necessarily this expectation that you are bringing in a huge book of business. So your clients, so to speak, are internal. They have the work. You just have to build and maintain those relationships so that they know that you're someone that they want to give their work to. So even outside, even if you're not working in a large organization, people you already know are really your best kind of resource and a first place to start without making it so overwhelming. And since you already know them, you're not starting cold and you can really practice some of these things without kind of that fear of the initial cold outreach. And what if you don't know them that well? You're talking about um, you know larger organizations where let's say someone has just joined a firm and they're trying to introduce themselves, just become known within the firm, whether they started as a junior associate out of law school or they've been in practice for a few years and it's a lateral hire and they've joined a new firm. Any sort of sort of tips on how to reach out to others in the firm, just get to become part of the firm, the organization? Yeah, I think you know it can be a very simple introduction of yourself and what you, you know, what your goals are. 
like, Hey, I started here. I'm trying to meet more people. And do you have 10 minutes for a conference call or for a zoom call? Um, I really think the pandemic has kind of transformed the way that we relationship build. And for many people, it's in a good way because I don't need to schedule a time for coffee and I don't need to drive anywhere and we don't need to park and we don't need to compare calendars quite as much. I can now say, hey, do you have 10 minutes for me to stop by if we're in the office or to get on a Zoom call? And I have found through clients and um, you know, uh, other people tell me that it is much easier for them to interact virtually than scheduling a time to meet. Um, especially with like a law student or a lower level associate or someone that they wouldn't necessarily have a real reason to go out of the office and meet, they're much happier to schedule these meet and greets. Um, And another tip too, is to ask somebody, who should I be talking to? Who should I be having these conversations with? I always tell people, end every interaction that you have with, hey, this has been great. Do you have another name or two of someone else? that I can reach out to or someone else that you think would be good for me to follow up with. That way you're taking the pressure off, you know, having to like continually only go back to one or two people and you're growing your network without having to work that hard because then you can go to the next person and say, Hey, I just had a conversation with so-and-so and they referred that I speak to you. And that can kind of be your intro and use that to lead the way and kind of create the path for you so that you don't feel like you have to do so much idea generation on your own in terms of who to reach out to. Great idea. And just a way to sort of warm up the connection as opposed to just going in there cold, as they say, and how you know it applies internally as well as externally. And I, I think we don't often think about the internal relationship building and how important that is to the um, development and success of our careers. You mentioned the way things are happening now more virtually. It got me thinking about social media and how we can use social media, how we can leverage social media to help build relationships. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you know the pandemic has absolutely shown us that you don't need to go to events in person. Um, you, you truly don't. Um, now you may want to for connection reasons or or any a whole host of other reasons, which are great, but you actually really don't. And I think that um, LinkedIn has been a great social media platform that has shown us that you can build and maintain relationships beautifully on a virtual platform. Um, I don't know the stats offhand anymore, but at one point I was sharing how the usage of LinkedIn had grown so significantly in those first couple months after many places were being locked down. And so many great relationships were forged there. Um, I truly think you can absolutely build relationships to the point of selling your legal services on LinkedIn. Um, You have to show up as being a thought leader in the space, right? So you're not hopping on there like saying, hey, hire me for this. You are sharing, right? You are sharing your expertise, sharing your opinions, sharing some personal things, um, being a real person, letting people know about struggles that you are having from work from home. And you are also, you know, teaching your kids, or you are also being the babysitter at home while you were trying to work. Um, I think showing glimpses of your real life on social media is very beneficial. Those posts tend to do very well because it shows people who you are as a person. It lets them in. It builds relatability and connection very quickly. 
And from there, you start sharing stuff that you're good at. What kind of work do you do? Who do you help? What problems do you solve? And over time, I think you'll be surprised. People want to, they'll come back for more. And when they have a problem that they know you can solve, you're so readily available on the platform. You're showing up consistently. They know who's top of mind for them. You know, it's you because you've been showing up consistently. Yeah. And then they already get a sense of, as you say, the authentic person behind the posts and the likes and the various things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it becomes much less of a sell (laughs) than, Mm -hmm. um, than it would otherwise be. I'm just wondering, you know, if there are any kind of common relationship building challenges um, that you've noticed that uh, lawyers are struggling with and, and how you might have helped them overcome them. Yeah, big one is time, um, right? I don't have time. Um, and a, a subsection of time is, you know, there is no direct reward or compensation for this. A lot of law firms still operate by a billable hour model. And so if I bill, I get a direct reward because I've brought money in for the firm that goes towards my goal hours that impacts my bonus. And so there's a very direct correlation between billing hours and good things happening, right? And Mm -hmm. people know that one very, very quickly. What's less apparent is relationship building and the indirect correlation to good things happening. And the um, the correlation is it, it's a little bit longer too, right? It's less quick. And so those two things make people say, I don't have time for this. And mm-hmm. so a way that we work around that is we really do a time audit and figure out how people are spending their time. And quickly, many clients will find out, oh, actually, I'm using my time in other ways other than billing as well. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a story I have told myself that I believe it. And we really like break down like, okay, what are you doing with all the minutes of your day? Are there some that you can reallocate towards relationship building? And then better yet, is there a way that we can weave in relationship building into the things you're already doing, the meetings you're already going to, the you know educational presentations you're already giving, the things that you are already doing, can we weave in some of these techniques into that. So you're not looking for additional time on your calendar. You're just trying to make the time you already have blocked off a lot more efficient. I like that because I mean, as you say, it's it's a huge issue with lawyers and time and having to dock it and all of that. And how am I going to capture this time? And uh, yeah, I, I think also this fear of rejection can kind of be a bit paralyzing for some wondering if that's something you've noticed. It is. And you know, I always like to tell people the story. There was a study done where they took a group of first-time skydivers and they put sweat pads on them and they had them run on a treadmill. And they took those sweat pads off. They put new sweat pads on them, had them jump out of the airplane. And then they took a new group of people and they had them smell all of the sweat pads while they were, <laughs> I know, it's pretty gross, while they were, <laughs> right, scientists, um, why, while they were monitoring their brains as they were smelling these. And what they found was when they were smelling the sweat pads of the people who were running on the treadmill, nothing happened. But when they smelled the sweat pads of the people as they were jumping out of the plane, their own fear and anxiety receptors skyrocketed. So they could smell the fear. 
and it impacted their own psyche, whether or not they intended for it to happen and whether or not the people jumping out of the plane intended for it to happen. Um, And this sort of kind of phenomenon has been proven a lot of different ways, but this notion that your energy bounces off of you and other people absorb it, it, it happens whether or not we intend for it to happen. So if we are walking around in a networking event, for example, and we don't want to be there, we're afraid of being rejected. That is literally the energy that is bouncing off of us and that other people are picking up and it's making them feel yucky. And so that's Mm -hmm. why you can walk into a room and if the energy is down, your energy is down. And Mm -hmm. likewise, if you walk into a room and the energy is great, your energy is great. And so when we operate in this space of this is terrible, nobody likes me, I'm going to get rejected we are just setting ourselves up for a really, really uphill battle because we now, in addition to having to build and maintain the relationship, we also have to like overcompensate and convince people we're not as negative as the energy we're putting out. Mm -hmm. And that's just a much more difficult task than showing up with great energy. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of one component. The other component is to really break down, like, what are you afraid of? That somebody won't like you, that somebody won't respond you know, what is it? And then we really kind of look at the reality behind one, how likely that is that that's the truth. And then two, what's probably really happening. So a big fear, a common one, a fear of rejection is, well, they never write me back or they won't write me back. Well, that actually probably nine out of 10 times has to do with their poor email management than it does with anything with you right? Most people are not good at managing their email. Most people have very good intentions, but they don't have good calendaring systems and they don't have good to-do lists and they don't have good time blocks. And Mm -hmm. so them not responding to your email is almost always more about them than it is you. Um, And so really just trying to like get into the nitty gritty because every time a client walks me through this, they laugh at how silly it sounds. Right, because it's a narrative that we have played up in our head time and time again. That when you say it out loud, you're like, okay, that actually maybe doesn't make as much sense now that I'm trying to explain it to someone else. Back to those excuses, right? Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm thinking too. I mean, we we don't want to downplay the value of actual, you know, attending actual networking events. Um, And I love your advice that you can build relationships without ever having to attend one of these events. And they're few and far between now, that's for sure. But I'm just wondering if you have any tips to pass on about how to make the most out of those events, um, those in-person events when you do attend. Yeah, a couple of thoughts here. One of the top ways that people build camaraderie and connection is when someone thinks of a conversational topic. So if you can kind of kill that awkward silence and think of something to talk about, studies have shown that that increases connection, right? I like you more. Um, It's the same as eye contact, smiling, um, mimicking what someone is saying with your own body language. All of those things build kind of instant connection and rapport. So keeping those things in mind can be very helpful. Um, Another great thing to do is every time you are going to go to an in-person event or really, you know, every week or two weeks just to have 
kind of at the ready. Think of one or two personal things and one or two professional things that are going on in your world. It can be something you're working on, uh, something you're looking forward to, you know, something that's coming up, a big project, a vacation. It can be anything. So a couple of things personal and a couple of things professional. So that when we get there and someone asks us the dreaded question of what's new or what's going on, we don't reply with, oh, not much. I'm busy, <laughs> right? That's like <laughs> exactly where conversations go to die is that <laughs> sequence right there. Um, because then the response is, what about you? And then the person tells you that they're also busy and we've accomplished nothing and the conversation is dead. And so I always tell people like, you have to be armed with something to say when people ask you what's new. Hey, I've been working on this really interesting project. I have been, you know, I'm preparing to go present at this workshop next week. Um, oh, I just got back from this great conference on this topic. Oh, my family and I are looking forward to doing this. We just got back from that. It literally doesn't matter. It just can never be not much, same old, same old. I'm so busy. Right. And, right. If you can remove those from your, you know, vocabulary, your conversations will improve dramatically, dramatically, because you've built connection, you've offered something meaningful, and you have allowed the conversation to continue so that more connection can develop. Yeah, I love that. And so true. And then it then becomes like a battle. Who's busier? I'm busy. Right. busy. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Yeah. And what about that elevator speech? Sorry, elevator. That was a combination between speech and pitch. Uh, the, <laughs> ele- the elevator speech, the value of practicing that or preparing one, using it. Is that old school thinking or is that something that's still worth cult- like creating and cultivating? Yeah. So a little bit of both. So I think this notion that we have to have this 45 second or a minute thing about who we are and what we do at the ready all times is a little unrealistic because it's pretty unusual that you're going to walk into a room and that's going to be an appropriate thing to share, right? Usually things happen in much smaller segments, right? You may know what I do at the end of a conversation and I may know what you do, but that's not because you walked in and told me in one swoop, one minute regurgitation, of everything, you know, in a rehearsed minute. And then I did the same. And then the conversation ended. Right. So realistically, I always tell people, hey, have two sentences memorized that you can say confidently um, without hesitation. Right. Your name, who you are, like what, what sort of um, who you help, what sort of service you offer, um, something loosely, like big picture. Right. So I could say, Um, I have a company called The Other 85, and I help lawyers with their relationship building skills, right? Like very big picture. I don't have to tell you what I do or who my clients are. I don't do any of that at that point. Now, part of the elevator pitch could be more details. And so those also should be at the ready, but I just don't like to tell people to go all in because that is not realistically how these conversations happen. So I want you to memorize these things to the place where you feel very comfortable and confident in sharing them, but I don't want it to be so rehearsed that you are like a robot spitting out these one minute, you know, regurgitations of your life story to every single person that you encounter. 
Yeah. Not very memorable. That's for sure. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I, mean, I guess part of the purpose in doing that is to get the conversation started. So you want to have enough in that to uh, sort of open up question topics. So someone goes, oh, well, this is, you know, you're telling someone about the other 85 relationship building. Yes. That's something that I struggle with or my, you know, associates struggle with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I can just see how the whole conversation um, can unfold from that approach. Great idea. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm thinking too, then after, okay, let's say you've gone to a networking event or you're building relationships, you're fairly junior in the firm. How can you sort of bring that back to the firm and sort of show them without tooting your horn too loudly, um, that you're adding value in that way. Yeah. So I think I always tell people to make sure that you are tracking all of these things um, because you are probably doing more than you realize. So every time that you are sharing right, who your employer is, um, that what your involvement is in the community, any of those things, you are acting as a megaphone for your employer. Um, Whether or not you believe it, that's what's happening. So if you're a dud and you've just told me where you worked, human nature, I am like, ooh, okay. But if you're a rock star and you tell me where you worked, human nature, I've now just made everyone at that firm a rock star. Mm -hmm. And so you are adding value or taking it away, to be honest, every time you are interacting with someone, you are always a representation of the organization that you work for. And so making sure that you are tracking the hours that you spend doing this um, and then tuning your horn probably louder than you think, because it's not as easy to kind of do that in this space as it is in like the billable hour space, for example. So it's not just, I have all these non-billable hours, but it's like, here's what I did. Here's where I went. A lot of times now I have clients who are able to do like self-evaluations Um, at the firm when it comes time to their performance review. And so we work on crafting the messaging of like, what does that story sound like, right? Maybe I fell under my billable hour requirement, but here's all of these other things that I was doing in the community and at these events and at these conferences, being a megaphone for this organization. And so I might not be able to track every dollar that this has led to or every client, but know that you know I'm out there doing these things as a representation you know of this organization and getting really good talking about it and sharing about it um, because I think we do ourselves a disservice when we don't because we we kind of buy into that notion that like this isn't as important um, and we don't give it the credit that it's due. Yeah and I, I think that going back to something you said early on it, it's we're in it for the long game. So it's not like you can sort of make a direct correlation between a conversation you had with um, a new potential client on Tuesday and something that happened or didn't happen on Friday. So I really, really like that. And I hope more firms allow for everyone to capture their non-billable time in that way, because it is so super important. And I think a lot of younger lawyers think, well, I'm not seeing a great return on my investment. And so that's another disincentive to mm-hmm. um, to go and put themselves out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Such, a, such an interesting topic. And yeah, a wealth of advice you have, Stephanie. Really appreciate it. Just wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on. I would say confidence. 
So one component of the work that I have been doing recently is confidence coaching or really helping people understand that confidence is a muscle that we have to flex all the time in order to feel confident. Um, And this came up because a common thread that I was seeing, no matter how many tools a client had or how well-equipped I knew they were, something was still amiss. And through more conversation, it became clear that confidence was that thing. And that without it, all of these other teachings were not nearly as impactful. So now I start a lot of my work with confidence training. And I even have a podcast with a good friend of mine, Whitney Abraham, called Capture Your Confidence Podcast, where we are just kind of as a labor of love, really sharing how important it is to kind of master that confidence game and the ways that we can do that so that it doesn't stand in the way of us accomplishing the things that we're trying to do. And on a kind of 101 level, I always like people to know that confidence is a muscle. You have to flex it every day, just like any other muscle. Um, As soon as you stop flexing it, it gets a little bit weaker. The more you continue to flex it, the stronger it gets. And at its very core, confidence is keeping the promises you make to yourself. So the more often we can keep promises that we make to ourselves, our confidence little by little increases. The more often that we break promises we make to ourselves, little by little, our confidence decreases. And that can be as simple as, you know, I want to wake up earlier and spend some time on my personal growth, or I want to exercise this many times a week, or I want to spend some time on my professional development, or I want to you know, make sure that I get this brief done this week. It can literally be anything, any of the goals or promises that we make for ourselves. If we are continuously checking them off and meeting them, we are over time increasing our confidence. And so in addition to the professional development work and the relationship building and networking, always keep a little kind of pocket of space for confidence training And for finding ways to flex that muscle in safe spaces so that when we have the big pitch or we have the big meeting or the big opportunity, we are coming to it from a place of confidence and that we've practiced a lot of times before, you know, this big moment. Oh, I love that. And I've seen so many lawyers who have this really, you know, um, this harsh exterior and they seem to have all the confidence in the world, but you know, you dig deeper with them and you realize that that's a big part of why their personality can be a little bit abrasive because they, they lack confidence. Yeah. And so, oh my goodness, that is such an important uh, skill. Again, a skill, as you were saying at the outset. So something that is teachable and we can learn. Um, yeah. Yeah. So important. Wow. I imagine then that the um, podcast that you're mentioning is accessible through your website. Is is that the case or how, yeah. how can we find your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's through, um, you can access it through the other85.net or you can also find it on Spotify or Apple um, podcasts, anywhere you catch your podcasts, um, you will find us there. Fantastic. And, and other places to connect with you, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah. LinkedIn is probably by far my most active space. And I do try to share professional development tips and other sorts of interesting information um, on there relatively regularly. 
And um, my website also has the email address, my email address, which I'm always happy um, to connect with people that way as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I noticed that you have some free resources on your website as well. Yeah. Um, one that, that just jumped out at me was the five biggest network mistakes we're making and ways to combat them. So I thought that was quite apropos to our discussion. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like a, a one pager and covers so much. So I'd highly recommend that. So Stephanie, thank you again. What a great conversation. Really, really appreciate you taking so much time to speak with us about all these important topics. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.